spacecraft did not crash in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. You know flat earthers, I guarantee it. But you don't know who they are because they're afraid of talking about it. This is not a test. This is your emergency broadcast system. Hello and welcome to the 140th annual Subliminal Deception Podcast, your weekly dose of conspiracy theory. Bullshit, my name is Cody. I'm joined by my pal Phil. How are you? Doing great, buddy. How about yourself? Not doing too bad. Uh, starting off with an interesting week at work. Uh, it's your valiant return to your job. How is how is that going? Yeah, it's good. Uh, the old body's getting used to, uh, you know, being at work at five in the morning and not being able to sleep until almost 10 o'clock. So it's been uh it's been a little interesting, you know, getting back into the rhythm of it, but it's good. I get to leave my house now, so no more quarantine. That's pretty nice. Yeah, that nothing wrong with How that. How about yourself? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask like I don't know about you, but when I cuz I usually get up maybe like 6 6:30 depending on the day. Um when it's the weekends, I swear to god I can never sleep in even though I am dying to. Yeah, I usually sleep until about maybe 5.30, 6 o'clock on the weekends, but my brain will not allow my body to sleep for longer than about 6 o'clock. So after I've had a full week of, of work, especially when I'm in the flow of it. so That is uh, quite annoying. I, I don't understand why the brain does that, but uh, I'm not a big fan of it. Uh, anything new going on in your world, Phil? No, not really. Uh, I did actually get out. My quarantine ended on Saturday, so I went to the bar Saturday night to watch the Bills destroy the New England Patriots. So that was nice. It's always nice to see that. <laughs> okay, no. I dude, if the Bills won the Super Bowl, I would be very happy for them because they that four Super Bowl run where they lost every single one of them, man. Yep. I was that was just brutal. Yeah, that would be great to see. That's a uh, it's a great football city that deserves a uh, a Super Bowl. I don't know. Also, the Bengals are still in it. So it'd be kind of cool to see maybe them get a Super Bowl ring. That'd be kind of cool. Um I don't really like the quarterback. He seems kind of like a douche. But Ooh, Joe Burrow? Yeah, Joe Burrow. I'm not I'm not a huge fan of him, but it'd be cool to see that town win. They're another one. Yeah, uh I don't know if you saw the picture going around during that game there. You can, people were screenshotting it. Someone had thrown a dildo into the end zone. <laughs> like after, I think it was the Bills scored. Oh, the, uh, the bills versus the Patriots. Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't, uh, I didn't actually see that on the internet. So I'll have to actually look that, look that up. That's pretty yeah, funny. Like who, like I'm, I don't know if security noticed someone who's bringing a dildo with them, but like, did, did they stop and be like, "Why are you bringing a dildo to a football game?" Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they concealed it. I'm pretty sure there's the clear bag rule, so someone must have uh, must have hid that somewhere on their person. Well, yeah, I don't know. They'd almost have to like put it in their pants or yeah. I don't know. But uh, 
that was pretty funny. That made me laugh quite a bit. Uh, yeah, the the Patriots. Everyone was starting to be like, "Oh, here they go again. They're going to the Super Bowl." And then it was just just nope. destruction. Yeah, it was. I kind of felt bad. There was one dude who was cheering for the Patriots at the bar, and he was wearing a a number twelve Tom Brady jersey from uh, from the Patriots days. And I was about to tell him, like, dude, you know how bad luck that is. You know, this when your franchise luck? guy moves down to Florida and you're still wearing his jersey, that's probably <laughs> why they lost. But I didn't say that. It's well, pretty, are you more concerned? Are you more concerned because he? Um, was a Patriots fan in Arizona. No, there's a pretty diverse, uh, you know, there's a lot of, you see a lot of different fans just because people from all over the country move here. Um, it was a little bit weird. He was like, it's, it's a, it's Oso. It's one of those bars where you can bring your dog in. It's really dog friendly. And he had this chubby little Corgi dog with him. And it was funny because all these girls would stop and like talk to him or, you know, not talk to him. They were talking to the dog, but he was like, not even paying attention or trying to talk to him. He was watching the game. And then all of a sudden there'd be a girl sitting there petting his dog and he would just scream at the TV and like scare him away. So <laughs> I don't know. he's a little bit of a weird dude. Well, I can tell you, uh, single dudes out there, ladies love corgis. I, I'm not really sure the phenomena, how to explain it. Uh, very popular dog with, with ladies. Maybe it's just a like haired or furry pigs almost. They do look like uh, furry little pigs. Yeah, they're yeah. kind of an ugly dog, but I don't know. You think they're ugly? I'm not. Yeah, I'm not a not a huge fan of them. Okay, I I think they're kind of cute, but uh, that little fat butt they have there. But uh, what kind of dog would you get if you had one, or you could? Uh, maybe like a bulldog, not one ah. of the big ones. Maybe just like one of them, like those medium-sized ones, just like the scrunched-up face. The but English they have really bulldogs. bad breathing problems. So the English bulldogs. I yeah, those ones. Is it that? Do they have hip problems too? I don't know. I'm not well versed on dogs. I know like they have to have a surgery or something for their folds on their face or something like that. I know there was. Somebody I knew back when I was stationed in England who had a French bulldog and um, people really seemed to like that one. It didn't have like it didn't have like the body that was like looked like it was going to break down (laughs) when it was five years old. So I think a lot of those bulldogs have been overbred, though, and that might be one of the problems. Yeah, my cousin has a uh, English bulldog and it has a little snaggle tooth. It's kind of cute, actually. But, uh, all right, Phil, are you ready to get into this week's episode? Yeah, let's hit it. All right. This week, we are going to be delving into one of the strangest recorded events in Japanese history. Now, I would assume that many fans of this podcast are probably also fans of the hit History Channel show, Ancient Aliens, just like Phil and I are, I'm assuming you are. Uh, Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) In said show, there are countless times that they have detailed mysterious objects drawn into paintings that are several centuries old, or you hear people detailing mysterious flying objects or weird shaped vessels or things like that in ancient texts. And they always talk about, could they be talking about extraterrestrials? Um, 
how do you feel about that type of thing? Like, there's always a few famous paintings that has like a gyrating something in the sky or something like that. Well, the first few seasons of that show, they were, you know, really showing um, maybe some of the more compelling evidence that they had to offer. Uh, Towards the later season, they were pretty much just kind of, you know, like making spaghetti, just throwing whatever against the wall and seeing what stuck. But I would say like some of the earlier seasons when they showed some of the Christian paintings and it almost looked like there was flying saucers kind of like just painted into the background. Um, kind of like things, it's not like cave paintings where, you know, it could, it could be just a representation of, you know, a big bird or a dragon or something like that, like a mythical creature. Um, but yeah, some of them, they really do have some pretty weird stuff on that show. Yeah. I always remember one of them. I don't know what it's called, but it had, it literally looks like a giant gyrating UFO or something in the background. Um, I I don't think anybody knows why they drew it in there, but it's very, very strange. Um, what I was wondering in this, I was thinking about this when I was doing this episode, how old do you think like actual painting portraits, like how many hundreds of years ago did that start? Any idea? Painting of portraits. Um, well, I mean, the. Minoans and the Mycenaeans, kind of like the predecessors of the Greeks, they used to do um, kind of like the stucco paintings on the wall where they where they might like actually um, either use paint or use stones to kind of like make a mosaic on the walls. And we've actually dug some of those up and you can see they have like maybe like pictures of people who might who might have actually existed or been like gods or maybe it's depicting just kind of a random person but i mean i would say it's you know um cave paintings probably you know thousands of years maybe stuff like that maybe just a couple thousand years there's also the ancient egyptians who were painting people you know on walls and stuff like that yeah. so yeah i i don't i think i was more thinking like where they kind of developed the pigments for different colors for paint, I guess oh, if that makes sense. Um, I think I think pretty well known. Um, in my mind, it's the Egyptians who pop up first who are using like the most pigment. So I think maybe the, the Egyptians. And that's what the uh, what three thousand BC, right? Well, yeah. They, I mean the the pyramids were built like third or fourth millennia BCE. Okay. So I think there was, I mean, obviously, you know, human civilization goes back to the Mesopotamians, but I think that they were really focused on like a lot of pigments and stuff like that. They're kind of like well known for it, but I might be wrong. This, the question's like kind of off topic about what today's episode is, but I, it just made me think when I was thinking about the paintings with the UFOs in them, um, how old those could be. And I was like, God, I don't know. But you brought up a good point. Egyptians, that's very long time ago, uh, 5,000 plus years ago. So quite a long time we've been able to uh, paint, apparently. So, Yeah, and they also, I mean, there's 
There's a lot of cave art that they're finding around the world that's much older than recorded civilization is. Okay. So, and they they claim to find um, possible, you know, UFOs like drawn onto those cave paintings too. But those could be anything. We have no idea what the artists meant. You know what they were representing on the you walls. Know, you know what you have to say? It was just God's plan. Just it was Jesus talking <laughs> to them. They saw the light, brother. <laughs> the subject of today's episode has come to be known as. Utsuro Bune, I believe that's how you pronounce it. It is Japanese, which is the Japanese word for hollow boat. As we will find out after hearing the story, this was how the people of that time period would come to describe what they had seen. Now, one of the most interesting details about this story is that there are three separate documented things that have been written about the event that all detail the story as well as having very minimal variations in each story. The first one was called Toen Sosetsu, translated as The Stories of the Garden of Rabbits, written in 1825. Interesting title for that one. Uh, the second is Huryu Kishu, translated as Diaries and Stories of Castaways, written in 1835. And the third was Ume no Chiri, translated as Peach Powder, written in 1844. So this is the type of thing that I think correlates a little bit to what I was talking about, where you have to almost put yourself in the, I don't want to say primitive mind, but the ancient mind of how people who didn't understand, like, if we see something flying in the sky or whatever, or weird something, we usually can correlate it to something. In the 1800s, a hollow boat is probably how they're going to describe this thing, as we'll we'll find out. Well, there's something you have to think about with Japan, too. So in our minds, if we're thinking about, like, you know, I mean, most of our listeners are either American or English, or, you know, a descendant from one of the English colonies type deal, um, English speaking. So with American and English, the, those mid-1800s, we were actually going through like a lot of scientific revolutionary type stuff. You know, there was a lot of stuff going on when it comes to technology. It, I mean, it wasn't quite, you know, it's not like the 1950s, but like the mid eight, the mid-19th century was, you know, pretty good. They were getting, you know, cannons. There was starting to be, I mean, you might even be able to see um hot air balloons flying around the sky you got to think japan in this time was still very isolationist um commodore matthew perry hadn't you know forcefully opened up the islands yet so they were really living in kind of a medieval time frame still they were not allowing outside influences like science into their country yet yeah and uh keep that point that phil made in mind because that will play a pretty big part in this story of trying to figure out what they actually will come to see but uh let me let me kind of start off with our description here um about about what actually happened so according to the information recorded in all three texts they all three have the exact same date the hollow boat incident all began way back on february 22nd 1803 
The story begins with a group of fishermen from the Hitachi region of Japan, which is located on the eastern coast of Japan uh, and is geographically northeast of where Tokyo is right now. Um, I learned an important lesson. If In the United States, it's pretty easy to do like north, south, east, west, right? Because of how Japan's shaped, it's <laughs> it's like kind of st- sitting at a parallel or not parallel, like kitty corner, uh, yep. in, in like the islands. So I'm like, is this the East Coast? Is this what they consider the East Coast? But I'm pretty pretty certain it is. Um, anyway, the group of fishermen would come to notice a weird boat that was floating near the shore. They would later report that the boat was about 11 feet high. An 18 foot long, which uh, was fairly large for any boat they had seen at the time. So, uh, I don't know ancient boats or old time boats here. Uh, this seems like a pretty big boat, doesn't it? Yeah, um, for fishermen, for fishing boats, possibly. Um, 11 feet high and 18 feet long. It seems kind of odd. Um, the dimensions on that are a little bit strange. Yeah. Um, it doesn't, it sounds like it's not long enough for how high it is. It's uh, just a little bit weird there. Um, I was going to say the, this re- region of Japan, I don't know if they're like the grill enthusiast or if this is where the grills came from, but that might be Hibachi. So I'm not exactly sure. <laughs> no, this is Hitachi. And I think actually, if I remember it, Hitachi used to be a, television brand i believe yes okay yep there we go there it is yeah yeah it's uh it's electronics okay i don't think they make tvs anymore maybe they do or maybe they got absorbed by another company or something uh but yeah i remember the hitachis yeah that's exactly what it was i believe we might have had a vcr that was a Hitachi, ah, but I'm not exactly go. sure. It was it was a piece of shit, so <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it kept getting, it was all fucked up. But that, that's one thing, like the phenomena of rewatch or like obsessing about VHSs. I just don't get it. The tracking, the like, all that shit is just like it's pretty annoying. Yeah, it reminds me of. Kind of like five to ten years ago, how listening to music on records got really popular. Uh, maybe it's just kind of like maybe a hipsterish thing that's kind of bleeding into the mainstream with watching movies on video cassette. Because I have seen quite a few people uh, talking about on the internet, like you know, trading video cassettes and trying to get back into that. So, okay, I in their defense, I can kind of see the record thing simply because. If you a record or a vinyl is in song quality is like the closest thing to almost a concert. Um, now the VHS is from what I've heard. Some people like them because they're naturally darker. Like when you watch them, the film itself is darker uh, than modern day Blu-ray or DVDs were, which is strange because that makes it harder to see. I just assume before it was a cool thing, they were trying to pull off <laughs> a PBR situation. It probably were. All right. I just don't assume PBR. So <laughs> Now that we have the general size uh, of the ship itself, the fishermen would also give a fairly intricate description of what the vessel itself looked like. Using the closest item that the fishermen knew, 
they would go on to describe the overall shape of the ship as resembling a kohaku or incense burner. The vessel itself was said to be completely crafted from wood, but the bottom was covered in copper plates that protected the ship from jagged rocks on the shore. The vessel also had several very large glass windows on it, which were apparently held in place by wooden strips that were covered in some sort of, they described as a resin, more specifically a tree resin. So you can cheat a little bit here. The fans obviously can't. If you scroll down, you see the little ball thing in the pictures. That's basically what they're describing there. Oh, wow. Okay. So very strange looking ship, I guess. Yeah, like I said, um, obviously this is the, if it's 1803, they were trying to describe kind of the materials they saw. So they might say, um, in my mind, it's just coming up that maybe they were calling it wood covered in resin, even though they just had no idea like what kind of material they were looking at. So they kind of said like, oh, it kind of looked like wood covered in resin, even though maybe it was obviously a UFO not really made out of wood. If we're assuming this is a UFO, it's and with the metal too. Maybe it was just shiny like copper. So they said, I, "Oh, it was copper." I would know. assume they would know what copper and glass and stuff are during this time, wouldn't you? Yeah, no, I'm talking about the the wood. Oh, the, okay. When they when they said it was the wood trim, um, I'm trying to. They well, they obviously would have had really good metallurgy. So, but if, it, if they were looking at an alloy and didn't know exactly what it was, if they just said the closest thing they recognized was copper, recognized it too was copper. That's what I'm thinking. So basically the, to give a, a better representation kind of, um, of what they're saying this looked like, almost like a vase, like a short chubby vase. And then the bottom is circular with, um, copper lining like plates and then the top's almost like a wooden dome with windows on it so uh, just for the the fans and listeners out there just so we can they get a little bit better idea I would definitely google this thing um, if you don't have Instagram that Phil will put the pictures on but it's very a very weird thing um, we will get yeah, it, to- look, it looks like one of those old style toys like the spinny tops that ah, you would yes. spin, and it would kind of just hang out there and spin. It kind of looks like one of those. Yes, that's a uh, that's a good detail of the shape there. It's very weird, um, but we're going to get deeper into it here. Now, apparently they weren't deterred by seeing this weird boat that had stumbled onto their shores. Uh, the fishermen decided to pull the boat up onto the shore completely and have a little look-see inside for themselves. Once they made their way inside of the ship, they discovered that the walls were covered in weird inscriptions written in some sort of language that they had no idea of. But again, like you said, isolationist country, they probably don't know a whole lot of different languages and uh, and things like that. So what does this sound like right here to you when you hear this? Well, I mean, kind of like the alien glyphs that are described on UFO on the walls of UFOs usually. Yeah. That's the first thing I thought of when I heard that, because it's, 
it is a little weird, even if this was some sort of known vessel, right? Um, to put inscriptions on the inner walls, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, at that time, there weren't really any ships being made out of metal. 1803 you were still in the the age of sails wooden ships yeah and there wouldn't really be any ships that were looking like anything out of that picture yeah yeah it's very it's a very strange looking ship all right now outside of laying eyes on the inscriptions inside the ship they also found that there were stockpiles of water and food they they wrote down it was 36 liters of water on the ship. I don't know how they got that exact mem- me- measurement, but that's what they said. The, yeah. the types of food were mostly meats and different assorted breads. They also found there was some sort of rice cooking pot uh, on board the ship. They said it was very large. Um, they would also discover there was bedding uh, strewn about and the floor of the ship was covered in carpet which i think is kind of interesting now to me uh, and i assume to you phil sounds an awful lot like someone's living on this ship and the next thing they would stumble upon is a young woman who is aboard this vessel okay right off the bat i don't know if you ever watched the old show i dream of genie but it kind of <laughs> sounds from that description like the inside of her vase that <laughs> yeah. she lived in that the genie's magic lamp basically <laughs> kind of sounds like that just carpet bedding and you know food kind of just strewn about so kind of sounds like that i dream of genie that uh what a weird show right like the woman's kind of like enslaved to that uh dude isn't she yeah well i mean it's you know kind of becomes her family but it's the the old story of the the genie and the magic lamp but yeah and then they uh they basically switched out the dude like mid season at one point but oh they got rid story. of him yeah they got rid of him they got another dude in there okay i i no one no no one noticed <laughs> uh i have watched i dream of genie but not enough to know the full story i just know she twiddles her nose and then magic happens yeah we used to watch it it was on one of those um like on the regular TV, it was kind of on at like 1.30 in the morning. There would be like that show would kind of come on along with some other oldies we used to watch. But I haven't seen that show in like 30 years. But yeah, it kind of sounds like the inside of her magic lamp. So, you know, uh, one quick note here. So I don't have cable, right? Um, the new TV I got has a built-in antenna and it picks up apparently live TV of some sort. Um, and... <clears throat> When I've clicked on it, the channels that you can get without paying, it's literally, I don't know what is going on. It's just like a live band of really shitty music. I don't know what it kind of channel it is, but I don't know who the hell's watching it. Yeah, from the sounds of it, it sounds kind of like one of those PBS telethons where they have the shitty bands on there trying to raise money. But actually, when I I don't have cable either, I think it's a waste of money. But when I get a, I'm hoping to buy a condo this summer if the prices go down. I actually want to buy one of the old style antennas and strap it to the roof so I can get some uh, some free TV, oh, the football yeah. games. It'd be kind of nice. You got to get a digital one now, Phil. Yeah, I know. You got to get the the HDMI one. They're the the HD TV ones. 
Yeah, that was a... I was working at Best Buy when they took all the uh, local channels off of um, analog. Analog. Yeah. Yep. Old people were not happy. I remember you telling me about the old people coming in all angry. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Jesus, dude. You're going to get a better reception. Like, (laughs) what are you arguing about? Either way. Uh, The fisherman would go on to give quite a vivid description of the woman that they found aboard the ship. Uh, She was estimated to be between four foot and nine inches tall. Uh, Her age was somewhere between 18 to 20 years old. She was described as being a very beautiful woman, but she had very pale skin. She had red eyebrows and red hair with strands of white, which are believed to be either extensions made from real hair or pieces of white fabric. Uh, She was adorned in long garments made out of a fabric that apparently they had never seen before. Perhaps one of the most peculiar things was when they found her, she was grasping a light colored box that was about nine inches long. I don't know what the hell she's holding here, Phil. Does this description of a lady from the 1800s ring any bells for you? She kind of sounds a little bit Irish. Um, just from the sounds of it, that, uh, that cartoon with the redheaded girl kind of sounds like that. It's, um, yeah, I don't know it. Did they describe her as looking like Japanese or like a European or just that? Would they even know if what, you know? Well, they would know if she was Japanese. So it wasn't Japanese. Um, okay. Yeah. What kind of. In the possible explanations, we'll kind of get deeper into that. Um, The Irish theory, though, wouldn't this lady have to get pretty fucking lost to end up in Japan from Ireland? Oh, definitely. Yeah. A lot of Jameson to get that lost. Yeah. Unless, Jesus, well, unless she was uh, the English colonies, unless she was coming out of the English colonies, the East Indies, Um, maybe coming out of there. But I think at the time, the Japanese would have really only had experience with either the Dutch or the Portuguese were the only ones allowed to trade um, on the ports in Japan. So, I mean, it. but like regular fishermen might not have ever seen a non-Japanese person. So very I assume these people are are all from like some sort of small village and don't necessarily have a lot of experience with anything outside of that you know what i mean yeah from besides going out on their boats which were probably you know pretty close to shore i doubt they ever really ran into anyone different from themselves that much or or even like you know back in this time you really didn't even leave your town very much so yeah Ooh. uh now naturally the fishermen tried to establish some sort of line of communication with the girl but quickly found out that she did not, in fact, speak Japanese and started to behave quite strangely uh, when they tried to talk to her. Now, as for the box she was holding, apparently she got very upset if anybody even tried to touch the box and she kept it guarded like closely to her body so nobody could get close to it. And throughout the rest of the story, we have... Zero clue what is inside of the box, but the box is very important to this lady. Any okay. ideas? Um, 
I don't know. It God, it kind of sounds like it sounds like a bit it's hard because you're trying to figure out like, okay, this story was written down just a few years after it supposedly happened, but how much of it is kind of from word of mouth, the game of telephone, how much of it was kind of like embellished or fabricated, like what's going on. Um, you're trying to figure out like what might've been, you know, what the situation might've looked like in your head. Um, kind of like a Pandora situation. It's maybe kind of sounds like it's coming up on where something really important is inside the box that she doesn't want to like let out. So here's my question. If she is in fact, just a human, like a European or something, what could possibly be in that box that she like would got offended if anybody got close to it? Possibly money, um, something really important. She was trying to trade Obama's birth certificate, or it could, or it could be a religious thing. Could be, could be that as well. Um, do you think the birth certificates in there, Mister Barristeros? The Barristero birth certificates. Yeah. I didn't even hear that. Yeah, the Barristero <laughs> birth certificate. It could be. Uh, it, that that actually could be his time traveling ship that Barristero hey. uses to go back go. in time. This so. is one of his consorts. Definitely. <laughs> a reptilian, of course. <laughs> now, by all accounts, it seemed that the fishermen would try to take this young lady back to their village, but she didn't last long because of different superstitions with the other villagers when they viewed her. Uh, some members of the village suspected that she might have been a queen from some sort of distant country who had an affair with a peasant and was exiled to float out at sea. In addition to that, they suspected that the mysterious box that she was carrying around contained the head of her lover. Uh, Either way, the locals found themselves too freaked out that they didn't want to have her around because they couldn't talk to her. So from the sounds of it, the fishermen literally put her back on the ship, shoved the ship back out to sea. Uh, And that's kind of the last they ever saw of her. So... (laughs) The thing I think is funny is like this explanation they come up with. This is definitely like a description you'd hear from people like this living in an isolationist society who have never seen anybody else be like, oh, she must be a queen from somewhere. Yeah, you would definitely hear this explanation or this kind of story coming out of, you know, like medieval times or modern day Iowa where they're just, you know. Like, they're just freaked out. They don't know what's going on. So they just, you know, get rid of her. Get her get her the fuck out of here. So, <laughs> you know, a backwards, simple people. Okay. Now, these three pictures I have here, Phil, um, I think the top one is from the original account, the very first one, uh, the drawing here, uh, mm-hmm. and as well as the one on the very bottom the the third one is, or I'm sorry, the second one here is a more, uh, way more modern drawing uh, from a different country, actually. So, what do you, when you look at these objects, I mean, it looks like a fucking UFO. Like, even if this is what they saw, what the hell kind of boat is this? Yeah, definitely, I mean, especially from the description, it's kind of, and the style of it. It's very much looks like a UFO. Oddly enough, I don't know, all three pictures of the woman, she she has dark hair in all three of these pictures and looks very Japanese. Yeah. So, or at least like the the 
the kind of drawing is kind of styled in the, you know, what you would think of as like a, a painting from Japan of that time. So she's wearing an, but these weren't the actual people who saw her who drew, no. um, draw these pictures I'm imagining. So I could see that. See, but my- yeah, the, the ship definitely looks like a UFO, especially the third, the first and the third one. Look yeah. like UFOs. I think those two are the traditional uh, Japanese ones. The middle one is we'll find out is um, from a Russian guy. Um, now, but the dress in the second picture I think is the closest to what she was wearing right here. Okay. Um, yeah, it's it's not it's not what you would think of. Like, in your mind, you're thinking, oh, could this be, you know, an alien that they were trying to describe? But from these three pictures, it just looks like a woman wearing a dress. Except for the first one, she looks a little bit alien. But, yeah, the second one, she's definitely, it's just like a dress that a lady would wear. The uh, the thing I I was wondering, so like you said, these seem like very uh, Japanese women. Um, yep. Could it be because they were retold the story that this is the closest description or this is the closest thing they knew how to draw because they only know what Japanese people look like. Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I don't know. It's it's hard to say, but I think if whoever first saw this shit, and you're like, this is from the 1800s, it had to blow their mind. Like oh, a, definitely. Like a historian or whatever. Just like, what the fuck is this? I mean, you do get an American... You know, I mean, in all cultures, you'll you'll have this. But recently, there's there's uh, the UFO sighting in Texas kind of comes to mind, where there was kind of a story that everyone in town kind of told, almost like it was either an, a, a shared experience or a shared kind of mythology that they all had. So I can kind of see that this being a like a shared mythology, yeah. or maybe a story that they were passing around that their descendants kind of assumed was real because it was you know told by all the adults so i'm not sure possibly something like that or if the story was distorted um from being retold and retold and then other places wrote this story down and kind of took a kind of conglomeration of all the different stories and put them together now um that you bringing that up that's actually a part of my um explanations possible explanations i'm just gonna let's just jump into that particular one right now since you mentioned it um kind of from what i was reading reading through the t-lines reading through what historians have said about this um is number one in the edo period in japan due to the isolation um they were very big on paranormal things which i think is very interesting because that seems to (laughs) happen when people are isolated right or like in little communities they for some reason like the paranormal thing and all of that kind of uh start to get wrapped up now some they some speculate that in essence what this tale was about is because they didn't know what the europeans or europe look like and they didn't know what Americans look like so a story like this is kind of is exotic but it's also taboo 
because there are so many fears of Western culture in Japan at the time. It's almost like they think the story might have been told as like a message about Western culture, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, there was a lot of European colonization happening all around um, like Southeast Asia. And, you know, there was trade starting to happen really big with China. And I mean, really, all of the European countries were like kind of fighting to get footholds in all of these lands. Um, Not really as much during this time, but it was starting. So I mean, it would really take effect after the race for Africa. But during this time, it was kind of starting up. So you would have like the French down in um, Indochina. It's, you know, Southeast Asia now. Um, And there was the British kind of all over the place. There was the Dutch. There was the Portuguese. Everyone was trying to gain a foothold. So it wouldn't surprise me if there was just kind of like a boat that happened to kind of wander onto Japanese shores. Yeah. So Um, the the thing I think is interesting in this possible explanation um, is I one of them, the people who talked about this, like a historian pe- person, said, it basically, if you, t- if you look at the story, right, it's a beautiful mm-hmm. woman on this beautiful ship. She comes aboard or comes on land, seems nice and everything, but she also has <laughs> uh, a dead man's head in the box. So it's almost like ominous on this same token you know what i mean oh yeah it's a bad omen in general yeah so so yeah i think from that aspect it's very uh very interesting and these stories like these apparently were quite commonly shared around japan uh during the edo period so uh, i thought that was kind of neat yeah they were i mean not only were they isolated because they lived on an island you know, and they were living in small fishing villages that probably didn't, you know, have a ton of outside influence. But also the outside influence they did have was from the central government. And they were probably spreading around stories. I, I took a, uh, a Japanese history class in college. Basically, the first person, the, the first European was um, to trade them a gun was Portuguese. And they kind of said that what the metallurgist or the, you know, the blacksmith who traded the gun for was his daughter. And he said, like, he became like a a Japanese national hero type situation because he traded his daughter to the white devil, you know, and the, you know, let her go so that he could get the gun and make a better gun. So it's kind of one of those deals where they really don't like outsiders. Yeah. Uh, Especially during, you know, the, I think it's the Meiji reforms. So after, you know, they were basically opened up. I mean, it, during World War II, that was kind of uh, their big thing as big nationalist movement as well, right? Oh, yeah, they had. I mean, it, it came from a lot of this, too. But they had years of like years and years of isolation. And then once they finally break out, they realize that they need to hit the ground running because they're about to get swallowed up by all of these European powers. Even, like, their next-door neighbors, the Russians are coming for them. The Chinese are ever-present. They're always there. Uh, They realize that they need to get all of this, you know, technology and information as quickly as they can. And then they actually achieve that, 
and they kind of find themselves a place at the table with all these European um, conquerors. So that's kind of where their, you know, national pride, a lot of it comes from too. Also, the British and the Russians fucked them over on a bunch of trade deal, on a bunch of, uh, a bunch of basically treaties that um, if you like after World War One. They were supposed to get a lot of the old German colonies, but they were screwed out of those colonies. So, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. One of the reasons why they're so pissed off at the British, but yeah, there was a huge nationalist movement basically coming out of all of this. You know what I think is interesting, and I've heard this in modern times. Um, there. So Japan, I don't think is a, having a lot of children or not. As many as they used to, and uh, but they don't want anybody outside of Japanese people producing children in Japan. I don't know. Have you ever heard that? Well, I did watch a. It was a, a news story about how there's a a really weird kind of age described, like the age of the Japanese people is getting older and older, but they're having less young people. So they're bringing in a lot of um, either Filipino or immigrants from other kind of like islands around to take care of their older people, but they're not allowing them to become citizens or to stay for longer than three to five years because they don't want them to stick around basically is what's going on. Ah. So they kind of, uh, they want a revolving door of caretakers to take care of their old people, but they really don't want them staying and kind of like almost almost diluting their you know the Japanese culture <laughs> or their people basically. Ah, uh, sometimes uh, sometimes uh, they you know I don't know it just seems like Japanese people have kind of or the Japanese culture has kind of been like that for so long. Um, you know I don't know I I just it just seems like a very weird way to be when. You know, obviously you can travel basically anywhere. Anybody can live anywhere at this time. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's I mean, it's such a huge competition also that that's the reason why a lot of people aren't having kids like they used to. Also, you know, affluence. It's just like in America. Once, you know, once you kind of get people who are more affluent, they seem to have like less children. And that's what's happening in Japan also. They're just not having the kids like they used to because they're so focused on kind of like, you know, career and upward mobility. And they're also focused a lot of the a lot of the young Japanese people are taking care of their grandparents and about to start taking care of their parents too. So that's another problem. Mm. And yeah, and uh Kids are expensive, obviously. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, let's uh, let's move on to the next possible explanation here. Um, honestly, the uh, the fact that this could have been potentially a UFO is kind of what compelled me into this story in the first place. Ironically, I was looking for like conspiracy theories in other countries, and I was like, oh, let's see what Japan has, and then. I stumbled upon this, and I'm like, oh, this is kind of fun. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's basically, could this be a UFO? Um, if you look upon the drawing, that is what it looks like to me when you, uh, like Phil and I have discussed. It's, to me, the most interesting part is when we hear a UFO, um, we think of a saucer-like shape. You know, everybody knows this, but it's like, in the early 1800s, 
they basically drew a modern day flying saucer. So I don't think they would have any idea about any sort of flying object at all. But it could just be a huge coincidence. Um, the the one dissenting opinion on this, or the one dissenting thing, is that this vessel never flies, <laughs> which is kind of important in the whole unidentified flying object uh, acronym there. So I don't know. I don't know. At first, I was like, "Oh, this sounds like a UFO," and now I'm kind of like, "Yeah, I think it might be something else." Well, there are also USOs, unidentified submerged objects, basically boats that come up from the water. And a lot of times people who witness them will see them floating on the water like a boat before they take off or come up like a submarine and then shoot straight out of the water. So the, the, yeah, the strangest thing about this is it looks like a, what we think of like the 1950s, 60s version of a UFO. Yeah. The the saucer like shape. Also, it looks nothing like a boat. No. That's, I mean, if you told anyone on earth to draw a boat, they wouldn't draw anything that looks like this. So it's and it doesn't look like it could float, honestly. I mean it looks like it could float, but it doesn't look like it could go anywhere. They're not I mean, at the time, if you told someone draw a boat, they're gonna draw sails. They're gonna draw oars. They're gonna draw something to steer. There's none of that on this. It's it literally looks like a pod. So well, here's the other thing. Obviously, Japan at this time and all throughout history, very big fishermen. So very, yep. they knew what a goddamn boat looks like. Oh yeah, especially some fishermen who are out on the water. Yeah, they're you know it's a, it's amazing they even called this a boat. But it's just in the it's floating in the water and it's made out of wood and metal to their minds. So okay. they're going to call it a boat. But yeah, exactly. OK, one correction. This isn't really a big deal. They were walking along the shore and then found this. They weren't out on the sea. OK, so they weren't they weren't in boats. going. No, out they were there. like getting ready to go fish, I guess. Um, and then stumbled okay. upon this thing just sitting on the shoreline. Okay, so it was on the edge of the water. Yeah. Okay. It okay. In my mind they were out on boats and they they went up to it. Um yeah, still though it was out on the water. Um really though they would have known what boats, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Like. Yeah. Um okay, we'll go to the the final possible explanation and this is the one that most people believe um is probably what happened. Um, basically with this hollow boat and the mysterious woman, uh, they all believe that she might have actually just been a Russian woman. Now, this belief revolves around the fact that, again, Edo period, isolation, close the borders, they don't want nobody. Um, the only people, like you kind of said, that they were trading with, or that, when I read who they were trading with at this time was China and the Netherlands, uh, the Dutch, uh, could it be possible that Russia had sent this woman in an attempt to try to open up some sort of trading line with Japan? As for the boat's weird shape, they speculate that it could have been a round log boat that was given a dome on the top so it could make travel on open sea. I don't know if that is possible at all, but... um. And I guess I don't really know what a log boat looks like, but it doesn't seem like you can just 
put a top on it and then it's like, okay, to have fun out at sea. No, I think the Russians would have sent her on a normal boat if she was some sort of ambassador. Um, so, so Japan and China weren't really trading at that time. Uh, Japan was actually using the Netherlands as a go-between to trade their silver to China. At the time, Japan was the second largest silver producer on Earth behind um, the Potosi mines in South America. So it would have been, yeah, it would have been the Dutch trading. That's the only real Europeans that they would have seen at the time. But the whole thing about the boat, um, this was after Peter the Great. So J Russia was definitely using like modern-ish, you know, well, modern for the time, boats to, you know, sail the seas, do all their, you know, fighting and trading. So they wouldn't, I don't know about sending someone on a round log boat with a topper <laughs> on it, just kind of pushing them out to sea with no means of propelling, you know, some random fishing village. Could it they have, been, have yeah. Could it have been some sort of punishment for this lady? I guess. I mean, maybe she was, maybe she was shipwrecked. And this was kind of like some kind of life pod situation. I have no idea. But it doesn't sound like any boat I've ever heard of. Yeah. Where it's kind of just like a, almost like a, like a top that they threw into the water. So. <laughs> All right. So the second picture there that I said is kind of the most modern um, picture that they have. That was taken from a book that was written in 1844 called Rosha. Bokenroku, uh, translated as Record of Seen and Heard Things from Russia. Now, in this book, it details, um, obviously, the story of the hollow boat, but also it gives a description of what Russian women kind of dressed like and such during the time period. The description of the lady from the fisherman who had seen her is very, they claim her clothing describes what Russian women would have been wearing dur during this time period. Now, the red hair, I guess, is pretty common in Russia, or was at the time, uh, and the the white strands. Apparently, it was very fashionable to put white powder in your hair in Russia during the 1800s. So, um, that's what the book kind of says. I guess that it at least explains possibly the woman I don't know. Like you said, uh, the boat itself is still kind of a mystery. Yeah. Um, I wonder if it's obviously trying to think. I'm looking at the picture that um, they put down and the description, thinking of the description you gave. Um, possibly. I mean, would that have been like someone who was highborn or like peasant kind of what like what a peasant would be wearing at the time? Okay. I don't know that exact detail, but... Judging from what it said, I would assume this is pretty just a commoner. Oh, like what a commoner would be wearing. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, because that, that dress does look like, it doesn't look like someone, something that a rich woman from the time really would be wearing. If you kind of think back about like Catherine the Great and kind of, you know, the upper class, what upper class women were wearing in Russia that I've seen in pictures or paintings, whatnot. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it does, it looks like, uh, it looks like a very, like a, 
like a broad-shouldered woman. It actually kind of looks like a man wearing a dress. <laughs> if you look at the picture, I, I don't mean to you know insult anyone out yeah. there, but it looks like a, a it looks like a very androgynous woman, or possibly a man dressed as a woman. So from the from the picture, yeah. um, I don't. Yeah, I I guess Russians they would have like people with red hair. You know, it's it's you know. Um, I'm trying to think of like other cultures, a lot of, uh, like Nordic people have red hair too. Right. So, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, you usually don't associate red hair with Russians, but I don't know. This guy in the book said it wasn't abnormal for Russian ladies to have red hair or red ish hair. Um, so I don't know. I guess you just have to take his word on it. Um, so let me read this one final possibility. Um, there's also a belief that this could have been a British whaling vessel. Uh, the main reason for that belief is apparently, and I don't even know why this would be British whaling vessels during that time period were known to put weird inscriptions and symbols on the inside and outside of the boat. No idea why, but apparently they did. Um, But it kind of contradicts because the first ever reported British whaling ship touching Japanese soil didn't happen until 1824 when it got stranded, ironically, on the coast of the Hitachi district. So... Um, what do you think? I don't even know what a goddamn British whaling vessel looks like. I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking back to, you know, the book Moby Dick. So <laughs> well, that's, a, um, that's a regular boat, like a big. Yeah, that was just, that's just a regular boat from the, the book. So it I mean, really, if there was the whole romanticized thing about going and hunting these huge, majestic beasts, maybe that's where you know, the inscriptions come in or, you know, trying to put like religious or kind of like, you know, putting little, not so much glyphs, but kind of putting little things that maybe might, you know, like a superstition type deal. Yeah. Like, oh, we put these on the boat so that's, you know, good fortune or whatnot or we got whatever basically keeps the whale from destroying your boat. Yeah. Much. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What do you think? I guess it would be more likely that a British person would have red hair or someone from uh, Great Britain because obviously there is Scotland right there and uh, Ireland's not that far off either. Um, so what do you what do you feel with this story, Phil? What do you think this is? I mean, Jesus. You got to go Occam's Razor, you know, kind of first off. It's in my mind, it would most likely just kind of be like a fairy tale. Yeah. Of, you know, watch out for foreigners. They might be landing on our coast at any time and they're going to be, you know, you know, some crazed person or woman with a a, a head in the box and it's going to be bad luck and get her out of there. You know, kind of one of those deals. Um, if it was a real story that kind of like the game of telephone kind of fucked up, I could see a stranded, um, trying to think back when, imagine for a, like a 
like a normal Japanese person who was just kind of like a fisherman, like uh, fishing off the coast. If you saw like a European man, you might actually think it's a woman just because of like the long hair and kind of like the different features. So you might mistake a man for a woman or, a you know, might mistake a man for a woman and like the dress, the, the things that he's dressed in might be different. So possibly that. And then the whole thing about the ship might have been just kind of a, you know, a weird thing where they they were trying to describe what they saw, but they kind of did a shit poor job of it. So maybe something like that. Obviously, you know, UFOs and aliens is the least likely thing. <laughs> but if you really believe in that, maybe it's the most likely. Just in my mind, it's the least likely. The most likely in my mind is propaganda and a bad game of telephone. Yeah. So, my yeah. skeptical mind kind of deal. Uh, here's the thing. Like, if this was an exiled person, like, yeah. to me, that's like, that seems like the most probable thing because there is only one woman alive on the ship, and clearly she had food and stuff like that. Um, But it's like, why would... I don't know. It just seems like they wouldn't... It's not like boats are readily available, I would assume. So why would you throw one out just to exile someone. Maybe you would. I don't know. Um, maybe it was a test. This is like some weird uh, prototype boat, and they're just like, all right, get in there and try it out. Yeah, it might. I just realized something. So someone who might be trying to get to Japan at this time might be a monk, and a monk would be wearing what they would consider like a dress that kind of looks like that. So possibly this might be a monk. Maybe the box had the Bible in it or something like that. That's why he didn't want the savages to touch the box. You know, gotcha. Be, yeah. In my, I just realized that like who, what man would be wearing a dress at that time? Then I was like, fucking Jesuit priest. So. So he was the. This was the original Pope Mobile, maybe. Possibly. <laughs> yeah. I exactly. I don't know. It's just if it actually did happen. It's such a weird uh, series of events, and I think the most compelling thing is that it's documented, but we can't tell if it is, like you said, like a fairy tale to scare uh, the Japanese people about Westerners, or if it's just a fun story they passed along, or like, I don't know. This is, uh, this is a weird story. I will say, Phil, I am jealous because I think a Japanese history class Sounds quite, uh, quite enjoyable. Yeah, it was pretty interesting. Uh, you know, um, the only bad thing about it was it kind of started like way, way back in Japan's history. Um, so we kind of had to go through a lot of weird stuff, like interactions with them in China and, uh, didn't really get into as much of the samurai culture as I would have liked. That's kind of why I wanted to take the class. But it was pretty interesting, more diplomatic relations and stuff like that, more historical stuff, architecture, a lot of that. So, Yeah, uh, Japan and China, never really been friends, huh? No, not <laughs> ever, pretty much. It's, it's kind of like um, just really the stories you hear, like, you know, England and France have been friends for, you know, 100 years now. But it's kind of like them, just like cats and dogs, just never getting along. Yeah. So... Very true. Well, Phil, if anybody wants to reach out, out to us and uh, give us their opinions on this story, where can they do that? 
Well, if they want to give us any corrections on all the shit that we got wrong about Japan from this episode, they can hit us up on our email, subliminaldpodcast at gmail.com. It's great to hear from everybody. Love to get, you know, ideas for future shows. It's always great. Uh, Cody and I also are on Instagram, Subliminal Deception Podcast on IG. Probably an even better way to get a hold of us. And, you know, we appreciate all the likes and all the shares, everything you guys do. It's awesome. Uh, Cody and I also have our own Instagram accounts. Mine is SDPodPhil. Cody, you got one? Yeah, you can follow me at Cody's Above on Instagram. Uh, the last thing we need you guys to do is to log on to iTunes, leave a show a five-star review. doesn't really matter what you say. Just uh, type something nice. Uh, just make sure it's five stars. Additionally, Spotify users, you are not left out in the dark any longer. You can leave the show a five-star review on Spotify, and you don't have to type on there. Just leave it five stars. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you to everybody who's taking the time to do that. We really appreciate it. Well, I hope you guys uh, like this little journey back in time into a possible UFO. Unlikely, though. Uh, We'll see you guys next week. Thanks, guys.